0: Florida, where the iconic Cuban sandwich and legendary key lime pie meet seafood festivals, craft breweries, and sustainable farm to fork restaurants. With a wide variety of local specialties inspired by an endless list of global influences, the Sunshine State's innovative culinary scene is now featured in the Michelin Guide. Enjoy freshly caught snapper at a mom and pop seafood shack, sip wine at a local vineyard or book a food tour and let your taste buds explore everything Florida has to offer. There's something for every palate. To wet your appetite and start planning your trip, go to visitflorida.com.
1: Paul Mentor is a chef, distiller, and owner of Key West First Legal Rum, and extraordinarily enough, a professional kiteboarder too. He's a passionate member of the Key West community and has led many local fundraisers. In July he will be aiming to create the world's largest key lime pie as part of the Florida Keys 200th anniversary celebration. Welcome to the Journey Podcast where I, Cy Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in their industries. Season 4 is sponsored by Visit Florida.
2: rum always flows in Key West I don't know if there's
1: a time it does not glad to hear it I mean let's go let's go straight into it Paul because because distilling rum sounds like a dream job and you know of course the Florida Keys is just about as good as as any place in the entire country to start a distillery but there's a long way to go from (laughs) kind of being a lover of rum uh, and, and actually launching your own distillery so what kind of inspired you to launch your own distillery
2: most of my life in Key West, I spent as a chef and a sure. and a kiteboarder. And when I was in culinary school in France and Spain, when I did my externship, both of my chefs, as chefs do, uh, like to have a drink, and they also <laughs> made their own alcohol. <laughs> so That's I neat. learned it. And this was back in the eighties, and it's funny, man. You know, you life lessons, right? Look, I want to yeah. wear the big hat. I want the white coat. I Care less about t- t- distilling. I want to yeah. be this. I want to be the chef. Yeah. I gotta have all these prim- stuff. And then <laughs> as I learned going down the road, that the hat just carries a really big ego, and the white jacket, <laughs> if it's not dirty, you're lazy and you don't do anything. <laughs> and uh, I got rid of all those uh, accompaniments, as I'd say. And you know, and I, I, I love cooking, and I, I love chemistry. So chemistry, so much of cooking. And about 28 years into cooking, I went, what could I do in Key West that would be different? And you know, you have to understand, in Key West, to do something different, it's really difficult. And I kind of looked around. I'm like, well, they say to look at needs. Okay, mm-hmm. well, what do we need here? Well, we need food and we need alcohol. I'm like, okay, craft beer has been doing some pretty cool stuff. I'm like, why isn't there any alcohol being there? I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> or you know, a drinking town with a tourist problem. And I'm like, <laughs> w- w- why? So I went on that journey to find out and getting a license. So we're the first ones to ever have a license to legally distill alcohol ever in the entire Florida Keys and uh, lower mainland on Monroe County. So there was never, I mean, we did it illegally. I mean, we do, we do a lot of things illegally.
1: <laughs> when it comes to rum, it's all illegal, yeah, remember, isn't it? Until I- recently.
2: Yeah, and then remember we're not we're not pirates. Of we called ourselves wreckers. So, you nice, know nice. we weren't we weren't yeah, we weren't rum running, we were just transporting beverage. So um, so much different. It's you know, so, so different. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. So I went on this journey and really dug into the history and I ended up in the old Coca Cola bottling factory where Fantastic. I started my distillery. So the synergy and that kind of energy of rum and coke coming back together and kind of starting their life out and and everything. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. You know, it was just, I, I, to do something different here. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. Um, a lot of people thought it was going to be a big failure. Why are you giving up a cooking career to go and do all this? And I was like, you know, we'd like to have a drink down here. I would think, (laughs) you know, uh, this, this, this could possibly be onto something. So, but dealing with the federal government. Uh, made it more interesting. So, uh, you know, getting open was a was a chore. And then when I finally was licensed, as all good governments do, I don't care what part of the world we are, they said, well, you're approved, but we're going to be closing down the government in the next Whoa. 30 days, possibly because of something that was going on in 2013. So we can't give you a license. And I sat for an additional five months waiting for the federal government to get their Proverbial crap back together and put papers back up on the wall <laughs> and you know in the windows because people are like I think this thing's not going to open you, you know I I was overdrawn in the bank and whew, it was it was a journey man it, it really it like gets because I couldn't make any alcohol wasn't allowed so I was still at the illegal part and then you know when they decided to go back to work and the government all th- thought everything sure. was fine. The first batch I made, man, I had a line out the door. And probably the proudest day in distilling for me was going to the bank with a deposit going, Look, look, I have money. That's going to work. So it works and it's legal gonna,
1: and people want to drink it. I mean, what more could you want? Fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's better than ending up in jail broke, you know? So, yeah,
1: <laughs> certainly is. Certainly is. I mean, it's, uh, as you said, there's the, the, the area has a, a really, really rich history. Uh, checkered history, I think it's probably fair to say when it comes to, to, to rum yes. and, and the, the whole trade around word. it. Yeah, let's go with checkered for, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. Um, maybe less favorable or less than favorable is definitely true in the, in, the, in the history of the local rum trade, probably just about anywhere in the world. Um, and of course, the clue of your distillery, the clue is in the name, right? First Legal. Something that's kind of become quite famous for your distillery tours they are obviously known to be different and they embrace this kind of darker history, as you said. Uh, perhaps you could share some kind of highlights what a visitor might see on the tour.
2: Well, I mean, the first thing to say about the tours is they're free. Fantastic. Uh, not much free not not much free left in Key West. But we, we love <laughs> people coming in, you know, and and seeing what we're doing. But, you know, you gotta remember we're we're kind of blue collar. Um, okay. you know, you're gonna come in, we're working uh there there might be a hose breaking and splashing all over the place hopefully not with rum um and you know things are going on the stills are running you're going to smell all these different things and um yeah so they get to see really the inner workings of what we're doing you know it's not like we're not a showroom and a bunch of empty barrels and you know it's being produced somewhere else it's right here we're hand making it you know hand spilling it, whatever, whatever the case may be that day. But people get to experience that and ask questions and we, we educate them. We give them a good briefing of the history of Key West, how this all came about and why we're doing it more as a chef and distilling as a chef, like we like to say chef distilled more so than a standard distillery following a blueprint. You know, our initial because I took so much flack for salt curing our barrels in the ocean and, using other Demerara sugar instead of molasses our initial marketing was because I was called, I was called an idiot. This isn't a (laughs) uncommon thing in my life. There's a bit of a pattern. (laughs) And uh, hence when we'll talk about key lime pie, another idiotic thing I do. Um, But, you know, it was funny. We put idiot or genius. What idiot put a chef in charge of a distillery? And we made fun of ourselves. And (laughs) 10 years later, you know, you know, this idiot's having a really great time. I was say, and, say, who's the idiots
1: and, now? It's not you guys by the sound you, of it.
2: You got to be able to, in Key West, there's such a lack of, you know, you don't want to be so serious. You want to make fun of yourself. We laugh together. We don't laugh at each other. And that's what's kept this island for 200 years, you know, just really ticking along. And I think that's what steals people's hearts or makes them end up down here somehow. It has, makes a little magical spell because you're, you're in a place where you can just feel comfortable and relaxed.
1: Fantastic. Paul, you touched there on, you know, chef distilled and, you know, you've had this, should we say formal culinary education in, in your past? Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably, uh, a deep seated thing. You know, you have Italian heritage and perhaps Italians do food better than just about anybody else in the world. Is that fair to say? Could you share some kind of memories from your early upbringing and your early careers and how that's kind of shaped your experience in the kitchen professionally?
2: Yeah. Well, we definitely eat better. Uh, <laughs> we can really eat some. Um, but when I grew up, I, uh, my grandmother was who taught me how to cook. Mm-hmm. Um, some friends have said in later years, uh, that my, the cooking was my alibi. Um, Interesting. I tended to get in a lot of trouble as a kid. <laughs> and what I do is whenever I got in trouble, I'd run in and my grandmother be cooking. Hey, what do you need help with? And I'd be there. And by the time my dad got there and uh, possibly the police or somebody else who is not happy with me. <laughs> well, he's been here helping me cook. And I really embraced learning how to cook than having my ass paddled. Um, <laughs> so and my grandmother just showed me kind of all these, you know, it, it, I learned that it was cooking was is about memories. And we all have somebody in our family that cooks for us. And we could be anywhere in the world. And a little bit of that smell comes and we're, we're transported back. To this place 100%. and this flavor and sitting at the table. We'd sit, you know, huge families sitting at the table. Um, I always used to say after dinner when there was, my grandmother would cook in such a tiny kitchen. And if there was 40 people over, like she knocked it out, like better than any chef I've ever seen. Shit. No stress yes. in this tiny little area. And then I would call it the death scene. You go into the living room after a five-hour meal and people be sprawling all over the floor, laying there asleep because yeah. that's well, what early we did. early days of Rome kind of stuff <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then get up <laughs> later and have a drink and talk and argue and everything but those influences being able to shop in the Italian market uh getting what was seasonal and everything really influenced my culinary career especially coming to Key West where we have different seafoods and different fish coming through different times a year and you just learn you can do that kind of system anywhere in the world You just embrace what's local and realize that you don't have it 365 days a year. This is what we have at this time of year. And and our body will start following that pattern. So, you know, uh, if I were to make sweet potatoes right now, the heat index is 115 degrees here. And your body isn't thinking orange and sweet potato. Your body's thinking, God, give me a piece of watermelon and something cool and relaxing. (laughs) So Th- that's why sometimes meals don't work out for people so i i think it's a big lesson that i learned of how to have the appropriate food where you're at for the appropriate time of the year
1: that's absolutely fascinating paul because you know you hear se- about seasonality in food all the time it's it's almost a buzzword now and it's kind of connected to sustainability which is only a good thing but you're coming at it almost from the other angle or both angles at the same time to say seasonality is is almost defined by what the body wants as well, not just what's available. Does that sound fair?
2: Correct. That's, 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 I mean, it's just some of the things that are in our DNA and our genetics, Absolutely. you know. And when we kind of follow that, and listen, put yourself on a four mile island where, <laughs> you know, growing things is a lot harder. So you appreciate when you get that treat of something coming out of the earth, right. where the farm is your ocean. So you 100%. have an immense amount of seafood and different products out there so we get a different amount of it but when the winter time comes and the mahi mahi's not there well there's mackerel and other mm-hmm. things that are very oily and our body needs that even on an island and stuff so it's it's interesting you know i, I watch all these things and sustainability and stuff and i think they were doing it right about 150 years ago 100 and we just kind of lost track you know with making things too easy and putting a lot of additives in there everybody always asks what's what's the best restaurant in key west i'm like the people that make the food themselves because they're not adding anything to it and that's how cooking always was
1: it's how it always was and hopefully it feels like it's slowly but surely going back that way And, and it absolutely should be better for us it's better for the planet so long may it continue
2: if you want to talk a positive from the pandemic a lot of people started cooking for themselves and had to 100%. figure it out and started doing things and now really appreciate going out to a meal where somebody actually cooks for you and serves you a food and brings you a drink. I mean, come on, if you can get your partner to do that in life, you're having an epic day. So when you <laughs> go out to a restaurant, I think there's, a, there's some more appreciation for those chefs and cooks and busboys and waiters and waitresses and stuff because you've been there now so you kind of get
1: it absolutely 100 um paul let's move on to the the other side of who you are as it were you're an executive chef and you're also a businessman but you're also a kiteboarder, which is a bit of a logical leap uh, could you explain how how this came about how did those three elements of your life come together at the same time luck um, yeah, that works that works
2: <laughs> yeah i mean you know traveling for cooking um sure. you go a lot of places i happen to be um, in Florida, we wakeboard. Um, that was always the big thing. You know, wakeboarding mm. was very big, and so, but it was a pain because you got to get somebody to drive the boat. Of course, a lot of times people aren't. Maybe have a little hangover in the morning and nobody wants to drive. <laughs> you. So, we. Um, I was out in Maui uh, at the session when kiteboarding was literally in its birth, like wasn't wow. even there yet, and just stumbled across it and once. You're telling me I can pull myself and I don't need a boat and wow. And then like everybody, I thought, wow, that's going to be super easy. And got one of the original manufacturers to get me a bit of gear and brought it back home. And I just about, I didn't kill myself, but I just about hurt myself really bad. And my friend came up to me. I was being pulled down the beach. The thing was running. It was sand burning me. I couldn't control anything. I had no idea what was going on. then it started pulling my board shorts down, so I'm bare assed <laughs> going down the beach in front of people because I'm a cool kiteboarder and I know what I'm doing. And sure. uh, it crashed finally. My friend came up and said, Are you all right? And I went, Holy, shit, if we figured this out, this is going to be pretty amazing! And you know, <laughs> licked my wounds and kind of went on about it and just fell in love with the wind and the ocean. And listen, when you work in hospitality. Uh, restaurants and any type of thing, you need an outlet. Interesting. Uh, I'm all about having a good bit of rum and stuff like that. But listen, you got to have other outlets that balance you out. And the kiteboarding did that for me. And I actually stopped cooking and took a leave of absence and went around the world actually twice. Um, I've been all over uh, the UK. I've been all over England. I've been to Hailing Island and Cornwall and, I mean, all sorts of cool places. I mean, there's just, there's tons of, tons of places to do it, so it it really brought out something for me because you know I I've recently I'm, I'm 57 now, so you know you start having these wow, why am I so connected? You know we're hmm. I think this connection with the ocean, we're full of a ton of electricity, right? Our body is just making all this electricity, and we go stand in salt water. and all of a sudden, I don't care about my boss, I don't care what chores I have to do or what things, or if I got some debt or I have to pay this or whatever. It, you, you have this charge, and it, and it changes us. And when I'm holding on to that bar, the wind, the charge from the ocean, it, it, it's, a, it's a pretty amazing feeling, man. It's, it's addictive. It's very addictive. And I'm, I was always the first one out and trying to be the last one in, and I feel like I'm still that way um, on the ocean. And now there's a thing called uh, wing foiling where you use a hydrofoil and they build a, a material from a kite, and you hold it in your hands and you you feel wow. like you're flying on top of the water through the waves. You're going to see it all over the all over the UK. And uh so again here we go, you know, like passionate about something else again, but it it has to do with the water and the balance it creates for being able to have a lifestyle. And the the restaurant industry and tourism is is a lot of fun, but it's very difficult because one the the insider view if you were to say from uh, living in a place with tourism, it's not just you that has to perform. The whole island has to perform. Yeah, you come on so. vacation to be with us. You might have saved for two years to come and see us. So we dictate if it's going to be really great or it's not going to be so great. And we want mm-hmm. it to be incredible. So we—that's why I think we work so well as an island together in, in Key West and all the Florida Keys. That. We know we want to make an experience for people, and it's up to all of us. We don't get to be independent in that. If you're independent, that making a horrible thing for it. Guess what? The rest of the island lets you know about it.
1: Mm, Yeah,
2: (laughs) a bad bad review would be a good result for you because the rest of the island is going to let you know about it. Stuff. So, yeah, it's important. (laughs) It's important to us, and you know, you got to have some connection with the ocean down here if you're here. I mean, it's it's a rock. We're on a four mile rock, you know, with a ton of ocean.
1: There you go, folks. You heard it here first. Uh, wing foiling, Paul, I <laughs> believe you called it, right? Wing foiling, is that right? Yep. It's a whole yeah, new... i we're
2: going to see it all over. I can think of spots in the UK right now that are just going to be amazing. For oh, us.
1: wow. A whole He's new a exciting way to, to connect with the water, to connect with the sea, and probably to hurt yourself but have fun while you're doing it, it sounds like, it sounds like a whole new hobby. Uh, and you've probably done a quite a good job of nearly hurting yourself several times over in in the world of kiteboarding one kind of particular uh, incredible story folks uh, paul is actually a guinness world record holder he holds the record for the fastest kite surf from key west to cuba so i mean again first things first paul what in- inspired that because that's a crazy crazy thing to take on and could you share some of the the highlights and perhaps low lights of that trip
2: yeah that's a that was an interesting part of my life. So uh, <laughs> just to put something straight, that record, um, you know, they, they define it by crossing from country to country. That's yep. been broken, yep. actually, which oh, is shit. fantastic. Some oh. people have gone, you know, the, the sports progressed. I and mean, Yeah, fantastic. Fair enough. We, we started something when the equipment with it was absolute <laughs> crap. Like they can't even believe <laughs> we did it on that. Now I can sit there and go, Oh yeah, you young guys and girls doing this on this model. But it's
1: so easy nowadays. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I had it tied to my ass and was trying to go across the ocean. But it felt like it. The mayor, Sonny McCoy, a long time ago, the mayor, waterskied from Key West to Cuba. And when I came onto the island, I heard about this, and there's all these stories. The people down here, like our mayors included, are just everybody's a nut down here. And I'm like, wow, he water skied. I was like, and when I got into kiteboarding, it was in my head, wow, what? how cool would it be to kiteboard to Cuba? And then yeah. things came about, and uh, it started to become an idea. So uh, we started training for it. And in my true form, we were training in the Bahamas. We were doing 70-mile runs in the Bahamas. Wow. And then uh, I landed on a shark. That's As you it. do. Normal. And, That's
1: normal.
2: Yeah. You know, so I put a cast yeah. on my hand, and I'm like, I can still do it. And they made my hand, like, in a grip motion in the cast so I could put it on the bar. And wow. I didn't think about Throwing. when I went out kiting. well, how do I let go? And <laughs> so I had some incredible <laughs> wipeouts. I broke the cast. Um, yeah, this is just the story of my – remember that idiot thing we were talking about in the beginning? Mm-hmm. So this is the consistent <laughs> part. I liked. it's fun being the idiot sometimes. Somebody's got to test things. But we ended up <laughs> uh, going to Cuba. I was in Venezuela a couple weeks prior. I got a really bad stomach virus that turned into something that put me in the hospital for a few days. Whoa. They were going to leave without me. I checked myself out of the hospital and said, nope, this was my idea. I'm going. And uh, the shortest day of the year, of course, the government gave us permission because it was our government that we needed to have permission.
1: Yeah, and
2: uh, we went for it. And it was one hell of a day. Highlights were, Wow. The waves can get that big out in between <laughs> here in Cuba. Holy shit, If I can say that, that was wow. They're big. I, why am I jumping? I'm not jumping. I'm just falling off the edge of a mountain every time. And uh, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty tough because we couldn't go straight there. You're tacking back and forth, and uh, thankfully all the training paid off. Uh, we had some really amazing people. There was four of us that were in the water. Once you leave the beach, you cannot buy Guinness. You cannot touch the boat or anybody else um done um so the record was actually set uh by a couple friends of mine because they made it all the way to land uh the last thing i remember is seeing cuba we were right there and i was pretty i was not well and uh i passed i passed out uh i was pretty dehydrated from being in the hospital i should i shouldn't have been there, I promised my son we have the same name, uh, first and last, and I promised him I'd get us in the books. So I went for it, right. and wow. uh, I ain't doing that again. I can tell you that that was, I don't remember Cuba <laughs> at that point, and then I was brought <laughs> wow. back and, you know, I had to be oh, I was underwater for a fair amount of time and all this kind of good stuff. So, I mean, we made it, <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those things you push yourself so incredibly hard. Um, and it's funny because how things connect. When Cuba opened up for us again, uh, I wanted to bring my rum to Cuba and mm-hmm. bring it there and say thank you, buy everybody in Cuba a drink, and say and import it there. And so we sailed over there. And somebody asked, "Wow, what was it like to sailing to Cuba compared to uh, kiteboarding?" I said, okay. "Well, I can tell you." Boy, it's a hell of a lot easier and a lot smarter. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, that was a pleasure. You know, so as we get older, you know, we somewhat try to mature. And, uh, you know, I always thought that I'd go back sometime by Titan uh, to Cuba. It's always laying in there in my in my head. It was a rough, hellacious day. And, uh, you know, thank God we all, we all survived it. And people went on. It challenged people to go out there and do that and beat us, which is just, you know, which That's is what you want tell them all how young and stupid they are and how easy it was you know and you get to be i found myself i get to be the old guy now and ah you don't know i did it (laughs) It wasn't like that
1: in my day you don't know you're born kids and all that (laughs) well it feels like you're a man who who is always up for a challenge let's say let's put that i think that's probably putting it lightly because you're about to take on another ridiculous challenge i think it's fair to say but we will pick that up after these messages
0: Looking for secluded beaches and shimmering emerald waters? We know just the place. Florida has 825 miles of pristine white sand beaches, including St. George Island, just voted best beach in America by Dr. Beach. For a different side to the Sunshine State, try backcountry camping at Canaveral's Wildlife Sanctuary or savor the freshest seafood at Old Bay Cafe on Caladesi Island. You could spot the stingrays and dolphins at Navarre Beach, or for an otherworldly experience, visit Dry Tortugas National Park and gaze upon Fort Jefferson, the largest brick building in the Western Hemisphere, surrounded by turquoise waters. Or you could simply walk the laid-back streets and browse the boutique shops and art galleries in Santa Rosa Beach. And there isn't a roller coaster in sight. Get inspired at visitflorida.com.
1: Okay, everybody, welcome back. Uh, Paul, it seems like you have another challenge on your horizon, uh, and it's another attempt at a Guinness World Record. Uh, here's a sentence I never thought I would say, but, Paul, next month you'll be trying to make the world's biggest key lime pie. Could you uh, uh, kind of elaborate how that came about and what's the occasion behind doing it?
2: There was a point I, we saw a key, a huge key lime pie be made in Key West. I want to say it was in the 70s. Okay. Something... Instrumental was going on here, and you know it was pretty big. I mean, you know, you look at this thing; it was probably about probably about a six foot pie. And they had you know the, wow. the chef there with the chef's hat on and the jacket, of and course, hair of course. and notables and all this. And we were like, "Cool!" Now, my friend David Sloan he wrote the Key Lime Pie Cookbook and kind of all the history on it. We've done things together. Dave's the you know really the the hardcore Key Lime guy. I said, hey, we should make this really big key lime pie to oh, set the record. But apparently there was a record somewhere. It wasn't done in Key West or anywhere in the Keys. And we should just go for it. I was like, well, how big do we want to make it? And so we made it, I think it was around, it was 10 foot in diameter when we did it. And we got to make the record and it was, I mean, I was using a, a paddle from a paddleboard. <laughs> to like smooth it out because i couldn't that get in sense. there there's a lot of things you don't think about until you get into the pie and realize you can't get to the center and yeah. you know and all the other things and you're talking tons and tons of sweetened condensed milk and key limes you know and graham cracker crust mm-hmm. and i mean there's a whole thing about it and you know obviously this is all to be edible eaten so it's not just for for show um, so we did that and then mm-hmm. uh we, we had done some different things. Then we took the same pie and kind of did some times. We are in a 40-mile-an-hour storm in the state capitol, and leaves are blowing okay. in the pie. Everybody ran inside with all the other vendors, and it's just us and this 3,000-pound pie outside. that's not going anywhere. <laughs> and then people stood in the doorway, lined up, and they were just – I'm like, oh, I can't do this. There's leaves in it, and they're picking the leaves out. No problem. This is so amazing. It's so good. And we were like, wow, people really love key lime pie. Wow, this is really a thing here. <laughs> And, um, so, uh, apparently somebody did it up on the mainland somewhere, which kind of irks us, uh, at times you're taking it back. Uh, we just had, um, yeah, you know, I I mean, a a little side note, uh, last year, the official dessert of Florida is strawberry shirtcake now. And we had an absolute bit about this.
1: I was going to say that's a scandal for you guys, right?
2: Yeah. Oh man. I mean, yeah, we were up in the States speaking it with the whole thing. And so we, um, we made key lime pie, the official dessert of the Florida Keys and in Key West. Uh, and pretty much we banned strawberry shortcake in the Florida Keys. (laughs) So, um, there's nothing wrong with it. Just go have it in the rest of the mainland. And, uh, people were quite upset in the mainland too about that. So, you know, there's been all this kind of stuff and there was suggestion that these people had made a bigger pie than we did before. So, we want to set the record straight, and we want to make it where it's done. We're going to hold it. So this, this pie will be 14 foot in diameter, uh, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's that huge. is just a pie. You know, the challenge was out there, and then uh, the county was having its 200th anniversary. They came and said, hey, could you do this as part of the uh, the anniversary? And we were like, you know what? This fits. We'll just kind of take it as it comes and build this pie And then everybody will be able to eat it
1: completely in keeping with with Paul Mentor, the man who fancies a challenge. It sounds like a 14 foot pie could be, you know, a hell of a a hell of an undertaking. But as you say there, Paul, it is for a wonderful, a wonderful cause. It's 200 years since the founding of Monroe County. uh, And there's a a whole kind of range of things going on to celebrate this this huge date. Right. There's I mean, maybe you could give us an an idea of some of the things that's going on. There's games and food trucks and music.
2: yeah, there's and yeah, and concerts and stuff like that, but there's there's consistent events going on the whole year. So oh, wow, wonderful aspect and we get the we get to be in the so-called limelight, uh, because you know, July fourth <laughs> is done. the big down there. So uh yeah, we get to have the key lime pie and be and really be out there for this whole kind of holiday event. And people are people are really excited about it. So it's 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 neat, you know, whether it's So I guess it's, you know, whether I'm jumping over a shrimp boat on my kiteboard at 60 feet or (laughs) hauling a 14-foot, 3,000-pound key lime pie around, you know, makes for for an odd life. And you know what? I'd never do it anywhere else than I would down here in Key West and... Florida makes peas. for it
1: makes for an odd life but it certainly sounds like it makes for an exciting life for sure and i can imagine you'd never change that for the world folks if you would like to uh to learn more about the 200 years since the founding of the monroe county and all the events that are going on there you can go to keywest 200th that's 200th.com keywest 200th.com Paul it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you thank you so much and again for your time so far let's kind of lead it uh, into one final question and bring it slightly back more towards a a kind of a travel focus obviously you've been in the area for some time you've been involved in in many many things including you know food and drink Um, perhaps you could share some of your favorite places to eat and drink in the Keys area and maybe some of your favorite things to do
2: so, yeah, I'm – and I'm I'm a bit fickle about this. I'm a very – I'm I'm probably like most travelers. I'm very simple. I just want Fair things to be good. But I want some atmosphere. I want things like that. So I love going – especially when I have friends in, uh, we like going over to the boathouse. So the boathouse sits on the water. Uh, they happen to serve our rum, which is a nice thing. Um, they have Beautiful. nice seafood, but you have these views, and you're down in uh, – you're down in the bite in the marina area, um, down by all these iconic places, the schooner wharf bars right there. This is where the fish, the shrimp boats used to be. So you're in, you feel this vibe and this energy in there. Um, so I like to go there. Uh when I want fish and sushi, I like to go to this place called Miso Happy. Ever snow creek was key west of me okay. so happy has such brilliant has such great things. And then you know, you turn it around because people go. Well, what can I eat that's local? What can I have? Well, we're such a melting pot here. But then you go to El Ciboney, which is a Cuban restaurant, where I wow. challenge you to eat everything they put on your plate when you go there. <laughs> at like at like challenge accepted. Pro- probably the most reasonable price anywhere in Key West. Fantastic. And then, of course, it's dessert time. I go to Kermit's to get Key lime pie. And if of you're course. a meringue fan, the last one I'm going to leave you with is you go to Blue Heaven and the meringue has got to be like 10 15 inches tall off the top of the key oh bowl. wow it, it's one of those things you have to have if it's not all over your face you're not eating it right <laughs> you're not uh, doing you it right to, you need to <laughs> change your uh, eating habits
1: <laughs> fantastic well i could i could happily learn more about kite you know kite surfing kiteboarding 10 foot high meringues and and This incredible Guinness World Record attempt, Paul, but I'm afraid we're going to have to kind of call it a day today. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time.
2: Likewise. Hope to see you and everybody else soon.
1: Sounds good. I'd love to come and try some of that Key Lime Pie sometime soon. Folks, I have been speaking to Paul Mentor. He's a chef, a distiller, and the owner of Key West First Legal Rum, and hopefully soon to be the creator of a record-breaking Key Lime Pie. Thank you so much again. <laughs> Thanks so much, Paul. Appreciate it. Take care. You've been listening to The Journey Podcast, where I, Cy Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers, and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in their industry. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you soon.
0: Imagine a destination with 825 miles of idyllic beaches, more than 1,300 walking trails, and over 700 freshwater springs. This is Florida, where you can meet the manatees at Three Sisters Springs, zip line over a canyon in Ocala, and paddleboard through the waterways in the nation's oldest city, St. Augustine. Our extensive accessibility options mean everyone can enjoy our attractions and activities. Florida is truly limitless. Look beyond the theme parks and get out into the Sunshine State's great outdoors. To plan your next adventure, go to visitflorida.com.